This morning's reading is from Malachi 3, 1 through 4, and 16 through 18. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the, offerings, and then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the day of old and as in former years. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured, pos treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Good morning. My name is David. I am one of the elders here, and it is... Uh, a blessing for me to be able to share with you this morning. And as you know, we are in Malachi, and, and the heart of Malachi's message is the heart of God for the heart of his people. It is for those who wish to live in commitment to Christ and his church and his commission. And the people of Israel, they had returned from captivity. The temple had been rebuilt. The walls had been rebuilt. And God kept those promises. But there were other promises that God had made over the course of many years that had not yet come to pass. And this was discouraging to the people. And it caused them to, or it impacted their stewardship of their relationship with the Lord. You see, the land of Israel was insignificant to the world. It was insignificant in the empire. And the glorious future announced by the prophets, some of which we just read about as it was reaffirmed today, or reaffirmed in the passage we read today, by the prophets had not yet come to be. God had not come back to his temple and majesty to this point, and power an exaltation was still being waited for. Because of this, the Israelites, they began to doubt. They doubted God's covenant love. They no longer trusted in his justice. They had lost hope. Their worship was hollow and routine. They no longer lived righteously. And we're reminded about Isaiah 29, 13, where the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is 
based on merely human rules that they have been taught. You see, even though God had brought the Jews back from captivity and the temple was rebuilt, they were very discouraged with God. Have you ever been discouraged with God? Have there been times in your life where God did not meet your expectations or act in ways that you expected him to act? We're going to look at this today. We're going to look at how the Israelites responded to their discouragement, and we're going to see how God responded to their discouragement and how that brings hope to us and how when we find ourselves in a similar situation, we can trust in the Lord. You see, like the Israelites, believers today can be discouraged because Christianity doesn't seem to be as strong as it used to be. Christianity seems to be losing its power across our nation and across the world. The golden age seems to be in the past and not the future, and we fight over trying to maintain it and keep it the way it was. Where is God, people say, and why doesn't he show himself and his majesty and his power? If he would do that, people would trust him. It's funny because those are very similar words that Jesus heard. He heard it from the Pharisees. He heard it from his brothers. He even heard it from his own disciples. And they would be like, why don't you show yourself? Well, he was showing himself, but he wasn't showing himself in the way that they wanted him to show himself. Jesus said, that by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Go and be my witness and make disciples. You see, God shows himself first and foremost through his people. That is his plan. But he tells us this. In this world you will have trouble. Things will get worse and then the end will come. And so if you live like the world, you will have no witness, and your religion will be worthless. When you experience the same issues as the world, and you respond differently, when you respond righteously, as Christ did, then you are a witness. God will always show himself in your life before he shows himself in the world, because God cares more about you than what you can do for him. See, the real truth is, God doesn't need you, but he wants you, and he's chosen you to go. His desire is first and foremost to show himself in the world through your life. But disillusionment can come. It can come because of the actions that are happening in the world around us, or it can come because of what's happening in our lives and, and the things that, that are struggles for us. And when things do not go the way that we expect, we can doubt and question God. We can become cynical and disobedient to God and his ways. And discouragement can lead to doubting God's heart. God is giving and he is a very, very giving God. But he doesn't always give the way we want or the way that we expect. 
This book, Malachi, became a key reference for those watching for the Messiah. And as we just read, the Lord will come as a refining fire. Back to chapter 3 and verse 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare a way before me. And then suddenly the Lord that you are seeking will come to his temple and the messenger and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap. And he will sit, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. See, we desperately want and pray for God to come. We were looking forward to the day when he's going to come and he's going to make everything right, when there'll be no more pain and no more tears. But you see, God, when he first comes, he first comes to reflect refine his people. He first comes to refine you like silver and gold. You see, if you have your trust in Jesus Christ, then you are in process even now of being refined. God wants to burn away the impurities from your life and bring you to a place where you're pure silver and pure gold the way that he created you to be. Are there things in this world and things in your life where you are praying for God to judge those around you? Know that he first seeks to purify you. And so we're encouraged by Peter and we're encouraged by Joshua. In 2 Peter 3.9, we read, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with the world. No, Peter says, with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then Joshua says in chapter 1, verse 9, I have not have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And in first chapter 24, choose for yourselves this day then whom you will serve. Will it be the gods of this world in which you live? Or as I, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I find these words very encouraging. But the question is, is how do we do it? We live in a world that is discouraging. Everywhere we look, there's discouragement. How do we, in fact, put in, or gain encouragement? How do we gain strength? How do we gain courage from the Lord when the world around us seems to be falling apart? Today, and I would like you to write this down, 
Today we're going to see how God addressed this with the Israelites. And I believe how he would like to address it with us. And the truth that we find in Malachi is that when I have a heart for God, I have a giving heart. More than anything else, God wants your heart. And it might be true that you are not struggling with the same issues as, as the people who Malachi addresses, but let's walk with them, walk with Malachi and walk with the Israelites and see if the Holy Spirit is aware of anything in our lives that still needs to be refined. You see, when I have a heart for God, I give him my love. This is the first thing God addresses this right out of the gate. In chapter 1, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Oh my, have you ever been so discouraged that you question God's love? And it's okay to admit that God already knows. Admitting that to yourself allows the Holy Spirit to heal you and to bring you to a place where your love of God can increase and become deeper. Malachi reminds us that we have a great and loving God. You see, the people doubted God's love. And God reminds them that he has chosen them. But the people do not love God or love each other. They have forgotten and given up on the truth of Deuteronomy 31.8, where God says, never will I leave you or forsake you. Nothing can take you out of my hand. Deuteronomy 32.39. And they became discouraged. But you see, when God has your heart, he has your love. You can turn to the Lord and you can trust in his love, even when you're discouraged. And he will be there. And he will embrace you. And he will give you hope. But we also see that I give him my respect and my obedience. Malachi 1.6 says, If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. You show contempt for my name, but you ask, How have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, How have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. You see, the people are disrespecting God. Their trust in him and their love for him has fallen so low that they no longer treat him with respect. And God says, you show contempt for me. God says, your worship is worthless because you do not give me your best. God tells the Israelites, I'm sick of your leftovers. I will not accept your leftovers. Let me ask you today, does God get your best? Or does God get your leftovers? 
Let's be, let's be honest. Because the truth is that if you're like me, and we all probably are, that sometimes we struggle with giving God our best. The closer I get to the Lord, and the more intimate I become with the Lord, the more natural it is for me to give God my best. But the temptation is for me to put myself first. So here, here I have a nice apple I bought this morning. It's nice and shiny, and it's plump. And here I have an apple, and you can, I don't know if you can see it, but it's got rotten spots on it. It's kind of cracked open. I stepped on it, actually. It's turning brown. It's kind of nasty. It's old and wrinkly and weathered. Well, what was happening was the Israelites were bringing their leftovers and sacrificing it to the Lord when they should have been bringing their best and giving it to the Lord. The Lord calls on the Israelites to give him the first fruits, to give them him their very best. And this, in your life, the question is, is do you give God your very best? Does God get your best or does God get your leftovers? When you wake up in the morning, when you go to work, when, you, when you're at play, when you're at church, wherever you might happen to be, are you giving God your very best? God, God says to the Israelites, you have turned away from intimacy with me. You say worship is a burden. God says that a person who does not give God his best is a cheat right out of the Bible, and outside of his blessings. Do you see the loop that begins to occur here? We get discouraged because God's not acting the way we want him to act. And so we don't give God our best. And because we devalue God, he withholds his blessings. And then we accuse God of not loving us. And it just goes in a circle, around and around. Malachi calls us to genuine, sincere worship. How is your worship? Let me ask you this. This is easy. There's a hundred ways this could play out in your life, at home, and, and, and the world around you, and with church. Here's, here, I think this is an easy example. How about your worship? Are you ever routinely late for, for work? Are you ever routinely late for school? What about the tee-off or the game? The big game, maybe there's one today, I'm not sure. <laughs> but you might be waiting to get out of here so you can go to it, which is fine. But I ask you those questions because... How is your worship? Are you late for worship daily? Do you have daily worship? Are you late for worship weekly? I mean, there's time, we all show up late sometimes. You know, I showed up late to prayer meeting this morning because I was buying an apple. 
But where's your heart? Where's your desire? What is it that you're motivated to do with regard to your worship of the Lord? Think through this. Allow the Holy Spirit to prick your heart and answer this question. Does God get the best of you? Or does he get your leftovers? You see, when God has your heart, he has your respect. And he gets your best. But I also give God my honor. Malachi 2. If you will not listen, says the Lord, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed your blessings because you do not lay it to heart. Now, did you catch that? God's blessings are conditional. How, how often do we act as though God is required to bless me? That we go through life and we do our stuff and we've, put our, we've, we've trusted our eternity to the Lord and therefore God is going to bless me. And the truth is, is that God's blessings are conditional. You, you can't go around disrespecting God and expect him to bless you. Many people live as though God will and should bless them regardless of how they treat him. Verse 8 says of chapter 2, but you have turned aside from the way. And verse 13 says, and this second thing that you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards your sacrifices or accepts it with favor from your hand. Is your, is, when you do worship the Lord, let me ask you, think, think about this. When you worship the Lord, is it dry? Is, are, do you feel alone? Do, when you worship the Lord, do you, do you feel like anybody is listening or anybody is hearing? If you're struggling with that, the truth may be that there's something in your life that you've inserted that infringes on God allowing himself to bless you. Verse 14 says, but you say, why? Why does he not? Why does he not hear me? Why does he not bless? Well, what we find here is that they were just going through the motions. They ignored God's instructions. They had turned away from God's law and were not obedient to it. They broke faith with each other. They broke faith with God. They treated each other with contempt and they treated God with contempt. And they prayed in vain and God did not listen. They broke faith with their spouses, treating, marriage, treating the marriage covenant with contempt as a mere business. So what was happening was the people were making marriage a business contract and they were marrying outside of the faith and they were marrying into the peoples around them and they were doing that because it was wise business. And any of them at any time, men or women, if they decided that it was no longer in their best interest business-wise to be married, then they could just get a divorce. 
and they and and they didn't have to prove anything. All they had to do was just was just go and say, "I want a divorce," and they would write a certificate of divorce. They had given in to worldliness. So the question for us is, are there places in our lives where we give in to worldliness? Because it's so easy and it can be so subtle and we're surrounded by a world that doesn't love the Lord. We're surrounded by a world that wants to call us away from him and wants us to engage in activities that don't glorify the Lord and don't don't draw us into his presence and into and into a deeper fellowship with him. When God has your heart, he has your faithfulness. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today about something in your life where you have been being you have been unfaithful? If he is, this is the moment, and this is the time for you to respond to him. But you see, Malachi goes on to say that, that when I give, that I, that I also give God my trust. When I'm in right fellowship with God, I give him my trust. He reminds us that God is unchanging. In chapter 2, verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have I wearied him? The Lord says, by Everyone who does evil, by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is God's justice? You know, there are things in life that aren't fair. There are things that are going to happen to us that are going to hurt us, that are going to, that are going to maybe even devastate you. There are things that are going to happen where you're going to, you're going to see your neighbor prosper and your neighbor might not be a believer. And you're going to look at your life and you're going to say, you know, why am I suffering? I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of God. Why do I suffer? And the temptation is, is to give in to that worldliness. And to chase it. And then we accuse God. We accuse God of evil. We accuse God of unrighteousness. In Malachi's day, they were accusing God of blessing the wicked and ignoring the righteous. And so they gave up on righteousness. And they inclined their heart toward the wickedness of the world around them. That may be hard for you to admit. It may be hard for you to say, it is true for me that there are times when I accuse God of evil, or I accuse God of wrongdoing, or I accuse God of wickedness. And I understand that. But does your life show it? Does your life show that, that you are looking for satisfaction and fulfillment and blessing from the world rather than God? See, God is not duplicit with evil. He is patient with us. 
and if he dwelt fully with evil, and if he dwelt fully with injustice, and he did it here, and he did it now, he would have to deal with me, and he would have to deal with you. We wonder, why doesn't God come back? Well, you know what? If God had come back 100 years ago, you wouldn't be sitting here. If, God had, if Christ had come back you know, maybe 20 years ago, for many of you, before you had a relationship with him, then your experience with the burning fire of righteousness that comes from God would be very different than it would be today. You see, we struggle when we see evil and when it happens to us. But do we look at the people around us who don't know the Lord with the same eyes that God does? Do we look at them with compassion? Do we look at them as sheep without a shepherd? See, God, Peter tells us, is waiting. And he's waiting for all to come to repentance who would choose on him. You see, we are reminded that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. You see, when God has your heart, he has your trust. And even when things aren't going well, even when things aren't going your way, you trust him and you depend on him. But then Malachi goes on to say that if I have a heart for God, I give him my treasure. I give him my treasure. I give him my life and my loyalty. You see, in Malachi 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and you have not kept them. You return to me, or return to me, he says, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Don't miss that. Do you see it? This is what Pastor was teaching a few weeks ago when he was talking about and teaching about what Jesus said when he said, abide in me and I will abide in you. Remain in me. Dwell in me. These are it's all different words that translate the same word. Jesus was looking at people who loved him and trusted him and he's like, stay there. Remain in me. Abide in me. In Malachi's day, these people had left the Lord. They were no longer trusting him. They were no longer following him. And the Lord says, return to me, and I will return to you. He goes on to say, but you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? And yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And the Lord says, and tithes and offerings. He goes on to say, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room for it. You see, the situation was, was that the people were not following through on the tithe. Now, what did I just do? I just went from preaching to meddling. <laughs> and I understand it. But we're going to talk about that just briefly anyway. 
The people say, how are we to return? And God says, stop robbing me. Because the truth is, they weren't robbing him of cash. They were robbing him of their heart. Because they were not giving to God their heart in its fullness. See, when speaking about tithes, you may begin to think in the same ways as the people of Malachi's day. And you might be thinking about, about things that it's been popular over the last 30 years to say, oh, tithing, that's Old Testament. Tithing, that's law. We're not under the law today. And the reality is, is that over, I, I, I get amazed at how we think that we can look at the last 30 years and that we have discovered something new in scripture or not in scripture that Christians have not seen for 2,000 years. How do we do that? You say, well, that's the law. That's the Old Testament. Well, it's important for us to, to, to understand that when the word, when the law was used in the Old Testament, the law is in reference to the first five books of the Bible. Almost every time the word law is used, it's in reference to the Torah. It's not in reference to um, some specific list of, of rules. Now, the Pharisees created a bunch of rules. And when you get into the Torah and you look at that, you find there are different kinds of laws. There are civil laws, and then, and then there are religious laws that had to do with worship. And there's political laws. And there is God's moral law. And there's a lot of things that God spoke to before he gave the law at Mount Sinai. So here this morning, I want to ask you, you know, if, if, if I don't know where your heart is on this, but I do know that God knows and he wants your heart. And so um, I'm required to share this. If I lost my place. If you are in a place where you struggle with giving to the Lord and fulfilling the tithe, let me ask you this. And you say in your heart, you say in your mind, well, this is Old Testament. This is law. I don't have to follow the law. How do you feel about the Ten Commandments? How do you feel about murder? Because God's moral law on murder precedes the giving of the law. How do you feel about, um, maybe not murder, but stealing and marriage? Do you have strong opinions about how Christians should act about these things because of God and who he is, but not tithing? These things all supersede or precede the giving of the law. And the truth is, is that God, God doesn't need your money. And the reality is, is that in the New Testament, believers are to give 
everything you have belongs to the Lord. A lot of people, a lot of people approach giving to the Lord like this. This is, this is what God has given them. This is what God has blessed them with. And God says, give me your first fruits. But a lot of times we don't do that. A lot of times we're like, well, I got I to gotta pay the heat. And I've got to, I got to pay the cable bill. And I've got to go to the grocery store. And um, got to pay for the car. My 401k. I've got this. Now I've got that. I've got this other thing. And I could keep going, but you get the point. We save God for last. And when you save God for last, he gets the leftovers. Instead of God being first in your life, the truth is, is that he's last in your life. And I would abdicate any responsibility to stand up here and talk to you if I didn't talk to you about this. Did you know that Jesus talks more about money than he does about heaven or hell combined? Did you? That's something maybe we should cons consider as we choke on the apple. See, God's not after your money. God is after your heart. And what is it that Jesus said? It's like you cannot serve both God and money because you will love one and serve him and reject the other. Who do you love the most in your life? If he has your heart, he will have your money and he will have your joy. If he does not have your heart, you will lack joy and contentment and satisfaction because you are chasing the world and not seeking after, not knocking after the Lord. And you can know that you're chasing after the world when you base happiness and contentment on what the world says it should be. So when God has your heart, he has your treasure. And then the last thing, the last, <laughs> the last thing that Malachi says about this, all this, is that when God has my heart, I give him my pride. I give him my pride. I surrender to him. I come to him in humility and not arrogance and not in accusation, but in trust and in dependence. Malachi 3.13, You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord, and yet you ask, what have we said against you? 
You have said it is futile to serve the Lord. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers are the ones who prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. You see, we are reminded that God has a glorious purpose for you, his people. He cares more about your character than he does about your happiness. Think about that. Are you, when you're discouraged, is your focus on the Lord and what he wants to do in your life through that discouragement? Every time we find ourselves suffering or discouraged, those are opportunities for us to take the Lord into our embrace and say, what is it? How do you want to work in my life? It doesn't mean you can't pray for deliverance. It doesn't mean that you don't ask God to heal you or, or, or to remove the evil that may be causing your suffering. But while you're in the midst of suffering, you turn to the Lord, even as Jesus turned to the Lord on the cross. And you say, Father, how do you want to redeem this situation? As evil as it is, as miserable as it is, you are the God of redemption. How do you want to redeem this situation for your glory and your honor in my life? How do you want to work in my heart to shape me and mold me after your way? So, in 1942, the Japanese surrendered. My father-in-law, Earl Martin, was on the second boat that sailed into Tokyo Harbor. And on September 2nd, 1945, the Japanese, the defeated Japanese commanders, climbed on to the USS Missouri, uncertain and afraid not knowing what their fate would be, knowing full well that if they were victors, what the fate of their captors would be. And when approached by General Douglas MacArthur, the head commander of the Japanese uh, delegation, extended his hand, and without flinching, MacArthur said to him, the Japanese commander walked up, or was there, Douglas MacArthur approached him, and the Japanese commander stuck out his hand. And without flinching, Douglas MacArthur looked him in the eye. And he said, your sword first. Your sword first. And with that, the commander unholstered his pride and his security, and he placed it in the hand of his new master. And when MacArthur said this, when, when, when MacArthur said this is a new day of justice and tolerance, the commander of the Japanese later said about that moment that he knew that the day had been transformed into a day of peace. 
And then they signed the surrender documents, and as if right on cue, the sun came out as they signed. When you give God your pride, you come to him humbly, and you surrender all. You hold nothing back, and the Son of God transforms your life into a life of peace, right? Is that not what Jesus told us? Is it not what he promised us? Is it not the guarantee that he has given us? In John chapter 14, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. By the way, the Japanese emperor who was viewed as a god by his people stayed in his palace. He never came out. And Japan and the world moved on. Are you able to surrender your sword? Are you able to surrender all to Jesus? Are you able to say, all to him I freely give? And absorb the peace that God has for you. In the midst of a crazy world, in the midst of a world that's filled with injustice, in the midst of a world where it appears as though the evil prosper, and sometimes they do, God has already promised you an eternity where there is no evil where everything is made right and all is made true. You see, when God has your heart, he has your pride. And the Israelites doubted God's love. They doubted God's justice. They doubted God's promises. They doubted God's worth. And they doubted God's goodness. Some of that may seem familiar to you. You see, the road to disillusionment begins with doubting his love and doubting his justice and losing hope and just going through the motions and lying to yourself and not taking God seriously. In Malachi's day, the temple that had been rebuilt was in need of repair, but it was only evidence that their hearts were in need of repair. Where is your heart today? Does your heart need repair? Expectation of God's joy and blessing hinges on faithful love and obedience to him. And so as we wrap this up this morning, we look back at Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. And a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. In just a few seconds, we're going to sing our closing song. And I want to ask you to consider, is there anything that, you, that the Holy Spirit wants you to take away from Malachi's message? Are there places in your heart that are dark? Maybe you didn't know about them a year ago, but you know them now. Maybe you didn't know about them an hour ago, but you know them now. Are there places that you need to give to the Lord? When he has your heart, you will live in faith. 
you will live in you will live in faith of him and you will live in commitment to him and you will live in fellowship with him and on that day says the lord they will be my treasured possession and i will spare them just as the father has compassion and spares his son whom he serves and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between those who serve God and those who do not. So, as we go ahead and prepare to sing, be reminded that those who love the Lord, those who fear the Lord, God embraces. And in these verses, Malachi tells us of the Lord, or tells us that the Lord will hold you as his treasured possession. He will justify you and he will exalt you. He will wrap you in his love and grace and he will heal your heart and soul. And in Malachi 4.2, he goes on to say, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from a stall. You see, God will give you joy when you give your heart to the Lord. He will fill you with joy. Do we have a um, picture of a cow? Isn't that cute? This is God's plan for you. This is God's will for you. This is God's hope for you. Let me ask you when you go home, if you want, Google happy cows. And you'll see cows that have been in, in the barn all winter. When they come out in the spring, they leap for joy. Exactly as the scripture says here. And that is the joy that God has for you. That is the joy that God wants to give you and fill you with. That is the joy that he wants you to have in spite of the horrible things that might be happening in your life because of your relationship with the Lord, because of your love of the Lord. He fills you with his presence and he fills you with his love and he fills you with his joy. And then you are a witness. As we sing, listen closely to what the Spirit is saying. Stand with me. Where he calls to where he calls you to return, do not delay. You can pray while we sing. Where he speaks, respond now. <laughs>